Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the New Statesman podcast that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week we're talking about the crimes of Grindelwald and the BBC3 drama Clique. Anna has also been watching the Netflix comedy Great News for the first time, so we'll be talking about how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. We've actually got some really sad news in this episode of Seriously. Seriously is coming to an end after three and a half years more. Yeah, I think it's three and a half years. We started summer 2015. Wow, it's been a long time. All good things must come to an end. And this is actually going to be the penultimate episode of Seriously ever. And we're we're sad about it. You know, if it was down to us, we'd probably be doing seriously when we were like 89. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, decisions beyond our control mean that we are finishing at the end of November. If you listen to other New Statesman podcasts as well, you'll probably notice some changes with them as well. So yeah, we're not going to be doing this anymore. And I frankly don't really know what to do with myself. I am now just like sat here imagining what seriously 89 would look look like. Like <laughs> me and you struggling with virtual reality headsets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Still talking about actors with cheekbones. Yeah. yeah, I know. It's been such a sort of rhythmical part of our lives for a really long time. and. I think it might be like the longest I've ever done a work thing. Yeah, we've like cycled through like loads of different jobs. We've both like moved house several times. Like mm-hmm. you live in a different part of the country. We both got dogs in Portugal. We've, we've expanded our families. We've moved in with partners. Uh, it's just been, yeah, it's been a, it's been a rock in my life for a really long time. And we're going to have to kind of like fake do one just to have our weekly Skype session. <laughs> yeah, I think um, I'm not really sure how we do this, but I feel like we should be able to let people just eavesdrop in somehow on our phone conversation. It's basically the same thing, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I'm going to need someone like what are we going to do when the Christmas Agatha Christie comes on this year? <laughs> I don't I honestly don't know we just have to send each other Um, long rambly voice notes yeah I think that's that's going to be it yeah I don't know it's going to be a real adjustment and I hope listeners won't be too sad about this because the best part about doing this has been 
the way you have all responded and interacted and helped with it honestly it would not have been worth doing otherwise i know we've just been so lucky like i'm obviously gonna approach onto like celebrity style i'm just so blessed to have fans territory if i'm not (laughs) careful here but we've just been so lucky to have an audience that's actually been engaged and like has left us reviews and sent us emails and just like done and things. come to our events and our quizzes oh and our God, live shows our amazing and stuff. sort of year and a half of doing regular fantastic quizzes where like people just showed up with incredible people came knowledge from other countries people came from ireland and france to those things <laughs> you know that was amazing it was amazing so thank you so much i actually wanted to read a couple of emails that we've had in the last month or so We haven't read emails very regularly recently on the show, which is a terrible failing on our part, but here is a couple. Bethany emailed in to say, Hi, my name's Bethany and I'm a 24-year-old gal living in London. I just wanted to drop you a very quick email to say thank you. I started listening to Seriously a year ago this month. I was very depressed at the time and I listened to the whole back catalogue in about a month. It was hugely helpful in making me feel calm and happy and able to frame the world in a way I can manage. You were my company when I was at my worst. A year later, and I've not only listened to every episode at least once, but I've also discovered some of my favorite films, movies, and podcasts because of you. Thank you so much for everything you do. The podcast is an absolute joy. That's from Bethany. Oh, that's just so That makes me feel even worse about the fact that we can't (laughs) keep doing this because how many more Bethany's are there out there who haven't emailed in but who are... I, we, also like over the years we've had amazing emails from people who are like studying abroad or you know away from their familiar surroundings for whatever reason saying you know it was really nice to have a, a regular appointment with people I enjoyed talking about stuff I liked yeah um, well it's been amazing for us as well and thank you so much Bethany because that's yeah really generous of you it's so nice to receive an email like that it's just beyond touching And I also had an email here from Rosie who said I've not been a long-time listener so new I've only had to do the waiting for new episodes to come out twice I think she means she's like listened all the way yeah she does to now and so she's only just now on like the regular weekly thing yeah I've completely fallen in love with the podcast in describing it to my mother I said the podcast has three topics of media all of which I've either already loved have heard of or been meaning to check out or haven't heard of but have already researched it by the end of the episode As a young woman who's just graduated and is battling the unemployment and loneliness of post-uni life, it's been a pleasure having a bit of time to just listen to enjoyable and analytical conversations about pop culture. Also that there are people out there who care as much about the worst witch as I do. Oh, we really (laughs) Yeah, we're here. We we deeply care (laughs) about it. I think about it all the time. (laughs) Um, So thank you, Rosie. That's so lovely. And we've just had, we've had so many just great, kind emails over the past three and a half years. Um, and thanks so much everyone for listening because yeah it has obviously been the thing that made the podcast function (laughs) having nice listeners who emailed recommends and we should say as well the email address isn't closing it's a gmail so you know you can carry on emailing it you can carry on talking to us that way if you want to um it it'll still be seriouslypod at gmail.com um and yeah i guess we'll still have a twitter and a facebook as well i mean we haven't been told we have to shut them down so <laughs> I'm going to take that as permission to keep them going yeah I mean I'm um, sure they won't stay up indefinitely but they are going to be there for the for the foreseeable future we also have other other projects that you can get involved with Caroline has a fantastic new podcast called She Done It it's kind of slightly different to this it's not a conversational thing it's more like 
little documentaries, but it's all about the work of writers like Agatha Christie and Dorothy L. Sayers and generally women and murder mysteries. So that's all at shedoneitshow.com. I'll also put the link in the description of this. So yeah, at the moment I'm doing that every two weeks and Anna doesn't know this yet, but she's hopefully going to be on a future episode. Um, <laughs> so you'll be able to catch us no, on that. I refuse. No, I can't wait. That would be great. And then Anna is also on is it five live you're on every other Monday yeah it's not so it's not as regular as every other Monday but it's it's pretty it's pretty close to that often on a Monday I am on the afternoon show on BBC Radio 5 live with Nahal we do a section between 3 and 4 p.m called must watch where we talk about the must watch tv of that week so you can still hear me rambling on about tv and I also um do a weekly column in the New Statesman that's online on the New Statesman and you can follow me on Twitter Analeski and I'm still doing lots of culture things <laughs> so we're still around we just won't be on the seriously feed in your ears every week so we should say what our plans are for the remaining so we've got the rest of this episode and then one more next week um for today we're just gonna do our regular thing we're just gonna review some films tv etc I have to say I'm really glad that we didn't have to stop before the new Fantastic Beasts film came out because (laughs) I really need somewhere in a therapy sense to kind of talk about that and then next week we're gonna do a kind of slightly early holiday Christmassy special which I'm sad we're not gonna get to do the proper Christmas special this year where we look at the often hilarious British TV but we're gonna do a festive special nonetheless which you can save and listen to later on in December and you know feel all of your holiday feelings basically yeah think Christmas think rom-com think brilliantly laughably bad (laughs) it's coming your way and yes we have already done a love actually special so no it's not that Um, it's not that but you can go back and listen to that (laughs) yeah maybe we'll put one of those out over the over the Christmas period this year so should we roll on with this week's penultimate episode of Seriously? Yep, let's do Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash post. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. So the first thing that we're going to talk about this week is Fantastic Beasts, The Crimes of Grindelwald, which is the second film in the Harry Potter prequel franchise, Fantastic Beasts. So this stars Johnny Depp as the evil wizard Grindelwald, Jude Law as the young Albus Dumbledore, Eddie Redmayne as Newt Scamander, and Ezra Miller as Credence Barebone. It was written by J.K. Rowling as part of the ongoing Wizarding World fictional universe. Uh, yeah, so obviously a lot of controversy about this film that we've mm-hmm. talked about repeated times on Seriously, um, involving the casting of Johnny Depp, who was accused of domestic assault by his um, ex-wife, Amber Heard, back in May 2017. It's been a huge ongoing case. They settled out of court and they both said nobody lied for financial gain. J.K. Rowling has been a staunch defender of Johnny Depp in all this uh, and has said that she's not only happy but completely delighted to have him in these films and that she's kind of said things that almost allude to the idea that we just need to trust her and take her at her word that she would Mm. never cast someone that she considered to be genuinely problematic. So that's kind of where we're at with this film. I felt very conflicted about going to see this film and buying a ticket in the cinema and I kind of knew that I was never not going to go and see the next Harry Potter film, which is, I think, a big part of why so many people are so upset by Johnny Depp's casting in this film. I saw it at a screening, so I didn't pay for a ticket. But that is obviously a coward's way out because uh, I go to a lot of screenings and don't have to buy cinema tickets because my job is to go to films. And then I write about them and talk about them, thereby encouraging other people to go and (laughs) buy tickets. So... I can't really claim an out that way. So I can imagine there might be some people listening who are upset with with us for going to see this film, which I would completely understand. For me, I just kind of couldn't not go because of my job. <laughs> and I just sort of knew I was never going to not see a major Harry Potter film because the series is kind of too close to my heart at this point. So though, although I object to Johnny Depp's casting in this movie, I just don't see what me not going would really achieve at this point. That's kind of where I am with it as well. I don't really know what me not going achieves. And also, I kind of think that even if I didn't care about it personally, which I do in this case, I still think I, in the same way that I'm not massively invested in the Marvel universe, but I still go and see most of the films because I write about culture and they are a big part of pop culture Mm -hmm. and so on, you know, Um, I still think I'd probably see it. But yeah, I feel, still feel conflicted about it. And if anyone wants to skip ahead to the next section and not listen to any more of this, either for spoiler or other reasons, the timestamp will be in the description so you can do that. Totally. And if you want to email and like bash us, go ahead, because I'm always interested to hear people's perspectives on this kind of thing. So I won't be offended. So with that aside, shall we talk about the actual movie? Yeah. So... It's a sequel. It's also kind of a prequel. It's in this weird space between the beginning of this franchise starts in like the 1920s. 
26 is when the first film was set. So we're set, we're kind of, you know, 70 years away from the beginning of the Harry Potter timeline. But yeah, for me, this film hangs in a weird space where nothing really happens in this movie mm-hmm. as nothing happened in the first movie, really, which was all about setting up five prequel films. We're two films into a five film series and still really nothing has happened in in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I think it's such a flaw to... Because I could well be wrong, but I think it's reasonable to expect that the climax of this five film arc is Dumbledore fighting Grindelwald. Yeah, that's and... what we're, we're, that's what we've all assumed and yeah. been kind of led to believe whether or and not it actually winning happens. because we know that he wins because it's a prequel yes and yeah we also know that Grindelwald doesn't die because of what happens in Deathly Hallows yes so I think it's therefore a real problem when you've chosen a like one-off climactic event the outcome of which is already known as the basis for a five film arc Mm-hmm. There has to be something else that happens. There has to be some other substantial plot going on. And so far, there just isn't any. And a lot of the kind of momentum that the films rely on is this kind of escalating political tension happening mm-hmm. within the wizarding world, which has a lot of parallels to, um, you know, our literal real society. I nearly called it muggle society then, but that would be to imply that the wizards are also real. Um, <laughs> but in our in our literal real society is that we have, you know, there's lots of allusions to the Second World War and Nazism and also like maybe the the contemporary rise, you know, re-rise of the of the far right that we're seeing at the moment. You know, lots of people are comparing the Grindelwald character to a kind of Trumpy orator. Mm-hmm. And so that, you know, I guess maybe it's asking us to engage with that on that political level in order to find something kind of meaty in these movies. But there are just so many things that it fundamentally struggles with. Like, A, I mean, I'm going to say really obvious things, but like the fact that there are no children in these movies, like yeah. that makes it, much more difficult to engage with not only for a young like now young person audience but for those of us who kind of loved harry potter as a kind of young adult series the fact that there are no kids with like teenage problems and like the levity that that plot set in hogwarts brings like the magic of the hogwarts setting is also gone the tiny little flashback that there is of a young newt and a young leader in this Mm -hmm. you know at hogwarts in this is one of the only good bits in it i think i completely agree and i think the film actually really suffered for including that flashback because you get a real sense of like oh my god we could be watching movies about students at Hogwarts and we're not. And I understand that it might be like overkill for a lot of people to do a whole nother seven film series or something set in Hogwarts. But I think for most people, they just want to get back there. And also it's suffering from inconsistency issues. Oh my goodness. You wrote a whole piece highlighting a lot of these and I just couldn't stop thinking about it the whole way through the film like (laughs) people's ages don't match up people randomly have siblings now that were just never mentioned before you know yeah Yeah, it does feel because what JK Rowling's so good at is this really detailed world building that she does in the Harry Mm -hmm. Potter series which does rely on a lot of geeky nerdy things like like strong consistency and like 
just things just things working on a certain level like one part that annoyed me that I didn't even mention in that piece was that we some there's a lot of magic in this film that just we don't know how it works no one ever bothers to explain how it works it's just like oh here's mm. a magic feather oh here's a weird gold outline of a person like nobody uses verbal commands in these films which is like in the Harry Potter series a thing you know people don't have to say like Alohomora in order to do a spell they can just they can just do it without saying it if they're really good wizards but being allowed into that level of world building being able to think as a reader like oh maybe they should try and use Accio oh no Accio won't work in this scenario they should use mm. the Marauders map whatever you know being being given as a reader that kind of equality there's like a democratic way into the magic in those books where it's like I actually feel like I could be a wizard because I understand how you can't apparate within Hogwarts yes things exactly. like that there were there were rules that helped the plot feel more like well why didn't you just apparate there and kill him yeah. you know the classic like why did you kill Hitler thing yeah and also it allowed the films to explore this whole idea of well I well I think the fun one of the fundamental things the original Harry Potter books are about is that, yeah, you can do magic, but you still have problems, mm. um, which this just doesn't really do. And then a couple of other, like really feels like really basic to say this, but I felt really let down by was the dialogue in this film is terrible. Yeah. Like just on a set, on a sentence level. Like I wanted, I wanted to be able to say that Johnny Depp is bad in this film, but I don't think it's really fair actually to single him out because he has terrible lines as do everyone else who's in it and therefore you can't say that he delivers them any worse than they do. Then the other thing is characters just randomly doing stuff without proper motivation. I'm thinking particularly of the character of Queenie who is the sister of Tina who's kind of Newt's like fellow crime fighter person from the first film. She's an, an American aura. Queenie, her sister, in the first film, she's very much set up as this gentle, very like high, I can't remember what they call it, but she's like hyper empathetic. She can sort of sometimes read other people's minds and feel their feelings. Mm. And I was quite interested in her in a character because I felt it was really set up as like, you know, she's very soft and feminine and her skills are kind of not flashy, but she's nonetheless very powerful for that. Mm-hmm. And then in this film, after very little screen time, and very little explanation. She just joins Grindelwald. <laughs> yeah, and there's a kind of logical loophole. This is a spoiler now, and I think we will get into really spoilery territory. Mm, so yeah. if you if you haven't seen it, want to go see it, you know, maybe fast forward. But the logical loophole here is that she, or not even loophole, it just doesn't make sense. The flaw in the logic is that she's saying, oh, I'm going to join Grindelwald because I want to marry a muggle and... His, he his rhetoric freedom. allows for freedom and love bet- between wizards and muggles, which is a bit of a stretch to, of an interpretation, but something that he's kind of said to manipulate her. But by doing that, her muggle boyfriend is like, "Oh, see you later. I think this guy's really hateful. I don't want to. I, we, you know, we we're not going to be together if you go off on this journey." And she mm. does it anyway. And like that, does, that just doesn't make any sense that makes no sense when her motivation is supposed to be all about wanting to be with him yeah and I when given the yeah it just doesn't make it's so annoying and it's the same with there's a character Lita Lestrange in this who is introduced this is her first kind of outing we've heard lots about her in the first movie and then we finally meet her in this one and we see her do things and again like the idea that her character might be motivated by serious like you have actual 
tangible motivations is just kind of like thrown out of the window and she just does things and we're never really given a sense as to what's going on in her brain and that's that this is a character that they devote a lot of time to flashbacks mm. trying to explain why she feels the way she does and why she, she might gets do a long like expositiony monologue even and and still none of it makes any sense and it's it's a sin that we talk a lot about on seriously but it's committing the fundamental sin of saying how can we get our characters to serve the plot that we want in this movie mm. rather than thinking how would these characters behave and let's like write the plot around that like here characters serve plot plot doesn't serve character and that's just so frustrating to see and something that really didn't it never felt like that in the original harry potter series it always felt like when dumbledore didn't say something that felt like not because they were like oh well we would lose the momentum of the story if dumbledore told harry this it was all wrapped up into dumbledore and harry's dynamic and how dumbledore Mm. would withhold things from harry was like a key fundamental character issue not just a plot issue and it's just really depressing to see i mean we've this it's an issue we've seen in the cursed child play as well we we really felt that and uh, yeah i hate seeing it again and i think the whole problem comes down to the fact that they're a trying to put too much in a short film like too much yeah. really happens over the plot of this film whilst nothing high stakes or consequential or really important actually happens like characters die in spectacular sacrificial moments but then nothing is gained in that sacrifice. So it's really as though nothing, basically nothing yeah. might as well have happened. You know, characters' identities are revealed to be not what you thought and then revealed again to be something even different to that. And like, there's this double bluffing and triple bluffing and there's so much crammed in there, but all of it eventually becomes undone by the time you get to the end of the film. So you're basically in the same position you were at the beginning of that movie. Yeah, you just feel all the time like there's no point learning any of this because it's just all meaningless anyway. Um, I was particularly, uh, I particularly enjoyed the reactions of there were three women slightly older than me sat near me in the cinema when I went to see it who had all like they'd all drunk quite a lot of wine before they come to see the film and they were now I think playing a kind of private drinking game in the cinema basically every time someone would be like you're actually secretly a Lestrange sibling credence or something (laughs) they would all just cackle with laughter and then when the final reveal if it even stays the same in the next film comes along which, heavy spoiler, it's revealed that, well, Grindelwald tells Credence that he is like a secret Dumbledore sibling or something, that his real name is Aurelius Dumbledore and that, you know, actually he's the only one who can defeat Albus because they're blood or something. These women just like fully shrieked with laughter and I felt that was really the only appropriate response. Yeah, yeah it's depressing. And I, like, as you say, the, the script is not good <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. fundamentally just on a sentence the way people level, speak like to each not. other is is embarrassing and not realistic and oh it's just it's a it's a shame and i i just don't see where the where the films are going to go from here in order to kind of like save this whole separate franchise yeah. it feels already doomed to to fail to me and i just as always sat there thinking like why the f- aren't we watching a marauders sequel like prequel yeah everyone prequel. wants the freaking marauders or, prequel it would be great yes. why doesn't hbo even, do it let's just like even just like the young dumbledore yeah i don't would be fine i also might just before we move on because we have been talking about this a while but my pet hate really was the fact that 
we see Professor McGonagall, an adult woman, uh. not only in the 1920s or potentially like 1930s when this film is set, which would mean that she was like a good 20 years older than we all thought. We actually see her in a flashback to the 1900s, making her a good yeah. 50 years older than any of us thought. <laughs> and like for, for boring, complicated reasons, it cannot be like her mother or her grandmother because... No, it's definitely her. Yeah, her mother was a, a witch who married a McGonagall. So it can't be like the grandmother because she wouldn't be called McGonagall. And the mother, mm-hmm. like, we know was not a teacher at Hogwarts. We just know that. Like, and the McGonagalls are all muggles. So it just doesn't make any sense. It's definitely meant to be Professor McGonagall and she's just like really, really old. <laughs> Way older than any of us ever imagined. <laughs> um, and that kind, that kind of inconsistency is just frustrating when you've bought and into so much totally time. it's also totally unnecessary as well. Yeah. That That is so unnecessary. Like, she's only in it for like two seconds and it's it's meant to be just like a really minor in-joke. And it's great because I want to see characters like McGonagall. McDo- mm-hmm. That's the whole point of doing a prequel in a world that you know and love. It's to like see the teachers that you know and love in the school that you know and love. Yeah. Like, it was great. I don't actually have a problem with it being there. It's just like if you're asking us to invest in seven books and eight movies and another five movies and a four friggin' hour long play... Like the details do matter because we've spent so much money and time on this and we don't want to sit there thinking we know more about it than the people who wrote it. That's just annoying. What is interesting to me is I saw a news story about how this has had like the smallest opening weekend of any Harry Potter film. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, Which is not surprising, but I, in a weird way, that gives me a tiny bit of hope because I think we haven't majored on it too much in this, but I think possibly one of the driving factors behind a lot of the problems that we've mentioned is that Harry Potter is now like a multi-billion dollar business for Warner Brothers. Mm. So if it's not making money, it's not working, right? Mm. So that kind of makes me think that maybe they will stop and think that they should be doing things differently. I've no idea if there's really the scope to pivot the story at all or like get a new actor instead of Johnny Depp or do anything. But I don't know, just a tiny bit a tiny bit of me is like, well, if they are seeing this as like a massive product to harvest and it's not doing that, perhaps they'll stop and think. I don't know. Imagine if they they, they axed it before the fifth <laughs> Well, movie. that's the thing. Like, I don't think, I don't they, think can. they can. It would just be I think too embarrassing. Contractually, they can't at this point. Yeah. But. They'd still have to pay everybody for five films, yeah. even if they didn't make five films. Yeah. So, But anyway, Fantastic nah. Beasts, nah. It's a nah from me. <laughs> Same. Not fantastic at all. So next we're going to talk about Clique, which is a BBC Three drama focusing on students at Edinburgh University. It stars Sinerva Carson as Holly McStay, who in the first series ended up as part of an elite group of attractive young women who were involved in a dark financial scandal. Now in her second year at the start of series two, Holly becomes interested in a close-knit group of young men who seem to have a political agenda. Yeah, and what I loved about the first series of Clique was that it seemed like it was going to be this kind of dark, sexy thriller about kind of entitled rich Edinburgh students getting into kind of Mm -hmm. scandals too big for them. And it was that, it definitely was that, but it was also this kind of weird political takedown of like corporate lean-in feminism where they were all kind of encouraged to run with the wolves and like be like the men in these big businesses and like ended up just kind of being completely damaged by that experience and it was shown how limited that that concept of feminism is and how it can really let down the women who are in the heart of that problem 
And I thought that was great. And like the kind of feminist icon at the centre of it was like really humbled by the whole series, by the end of the series. She's mm. kind of really humbled and embarrassed by the, the rhetoric that she's been teaching. Um, and so it's, it was kind of like a very left wing message. You know, it wasn't an anti-feminism message. It was a anti a certain kind of kind of like um, centrist feminism that doesn't go kind of far enough. Yeah, like kind of TED Talk feminism. Yeah, basically. yeah. Lean in feminism, corporate feminism, whatever you want to call it. And this series is, I mean, also the first series was just like absurd and there was like a big serial killer reveal at the end and like an obsessive childhood friendship come back to bite someone. Like it it also did all these kind of like absurd sensationalist things. It wasn't totally just this kind of like very rational and piercing social commentary. Um, But the second series kind of starts for in Holly's second year of university, the kind of clique of beautiful women that she was once enamored with has now dispersed and instead she's kind of charmed by this clique of young kind of um right wing or if not right wing then kind of like reactionary young men who refuse to go along with kind of the earnest liberal left-wing student politics that is going on around edinburgh university and they're running kind of like right-wing websites that are somewhere between like breitbart and the tab like a kind of uni lad yeah. with with more right wing take on campus culture, um, and the kind of crux is that Holly's quite entranced by these boys, even as she kind of hates everything that they stand for. And when one of her housemates, who she finds a little bit too much and too earnest and too left wing and a bit, I think a bit stupid, essentially, when one of her flatmates accuses one of these boys of sexual assault, that's kind of like the big event that the whole series is mm. framed around. So it's obviously doing a very similar thing of like um, big drama centered around kind of contemporary political debates or like at least with an undercurrent of that. And it's kind of a really risky thing to do, I think, because either this girl who's called Raina, either Raina is telling the truth and this guy Jack sexually assaulted her, in which case all of the tension of the entire series just evaporates to nothing. Yeah. <laughs> or she's lying and or is mistaken in some way. And that kind of sends a potentially very dangerous message about mm. stereotypes about women and why women, if women lie about sexual assault and how, you know, it would probably be for personal gain or something like that. You know, that that's where so it's basically dropped like a massive controversy bomb right in the middle of its first episode already so i'm really kind of intrigued and a little bit wary of where this is going to go yeah i feel like i all the way through the first series i kind of watched clique slightly between Mm. my fingers not because i like i find the violence scary or anything like that but just because i find some of its ideas potentially terrifying Mm -hmm. in a way and I felt I've only watched the first episode of series two so far they're all they're all on iPlayer or are they are they really they're actually doing it weekly they're doing it weekly right there's two out now and there's about to be a third there'll be a third on Sunday so we've just had the second one come out on Sunday I've watched three just because I have that power as a critic (laughs) um but yeah um but yeah so in the first the first one there's this big like set piece quite early on in the episode where it's like a kind of town hall meeting within the university and a sort of old white man academic is trying to address people's concerns about safe spaces and like all these passionate young women are getting up and saying their speech and stuff. And then these like young men 
who are all very well dressed and have cheekbones and stuff do this stunt where they release all these like snowflake confetti onto the audience and they film it and it's all very obviously like uh, snowflakes and they film it for their right-wing website and they think it's hilarious and AO was like wow the BBC have actually put this on TV I would have thought they would be far too worried about you know backlash or reactions to actually show this and then B my thoughts ran oh, so there must be some definite moral conclusion for them to feel okay about showing this. They must feel that the series comes to a good place by the end. Yeah, If you definitely. know what I mean. They must feel like, like they, they answer the sexual assault question in a positive way. They must feel like they do. Yeah, and I'm really interested Otherwise they in wouldn't run a well. plot like this. And I don't know what that answer is. No, exactly. So, That's where so, I'm struggling because, yeah. I mean, I've watched other things. Someone compared it to National Treasure where you'll be like, okay, well, the answer has to be that the seemingly bad guy is a seeming bad guy because otherwise this is this is too risky a premise mm-hmm. yeah. to put to an audience and it potentially spreads because you know like i actually find it really discomforting whenever in any plot line a woman lies about sexual assault or like beats yeah. herself up or anything like which does happen a lot still in like you know i'm not just talking about like gone girl but i saw a movie the other day where emma stone like beats up her own face with a book to get sympathy from someone and even little things like that make me really like ooh you're buying into a narrative about women that isn't actually real there. So Mm -hmm. why don't you not do that? Um, But then again, fiction is meant to be fiction. Uh, And I I agree with you. I just, I'm really interested to see where it goes because right now I I don't think that the conclusion of this show is going to be, oh, um, she was telling the truth all along and this guy was just a really bad guy. It just, it just, it has to be more complicated complicated than that. that, that. I don't think it's just going to be that she's lying. If it is, then that's going to be that's quite shocking. But I, I don't imagine it's going to go that way, though the the creator, Jess Britton, has said a lot about how she's worried about how it's going to be received. And she wants it mm-hmm. to be clear that this is this show is not meant to be a statement of her personal politics and blah, blah, blah. Which means where's it going to go? Because like for me, even if it's a case of, for example, mistaken identity, we know from the Kavanaugh case that mistaken identity claims can be wielded in a really kind of like anti-woman way and be really kind of like used to discredit victims um you know the the whole narrative of the Kavanaugh case was I believe this woman was sexually assaulted but not by me and you know that's really (laughs) that can be really dangerous Mm. too so I'm just interested and like little things like for example the portrayal of um left-wing campus culture in this in the first episode there were moments that really actually made me like oh this is a bit exaggerated for example there's a video of a student saying that they think god bless you is a microaggression yeah it's just parody i'm sure you can find a real example of someone saying that but it's not representative of what what most young left-wing students actually think and believe i don't think yeah, that was my impression of it is that I know there's been this persistent problem in the last like two or three years, particularly um, in Britain, I think longer in America, of like right wing commentators being like, it's terrible. The no platforming snowflake culture is ruining education and debate and free speech in this country. And then when someone says, like, can you find actually any real examples of this actually happening? They can't. Yeah, or they can, it, but it's you know, such. It's, a, but it's annoying because you can always find such extreme examples on either side of the left and right, and they're not representative mm. of like actual movements or groups exactly. in society. So, I, so that kind of frustrated me a little bit in the show. But then also that was how the first season kind of worked. Was that I would watch this supposedly feminist character telling all her young girls to lean in, and I'd be like, "This is bollocks. This is actually anti-feminist. I hate this." 
And then the show was like, yeah, we know. The show knew that all we along. We know, and that's what we're trying to show you. Yeah, that's why I'm still watching because I, because in the first series, it did go over and above my expectations in terms of how subtle it was. But I don't, I don't know. I just feel with what I've seen so far, I don't know how it can do that. That's kind this. of what I think thrills the issues me about are it, too though. big and too serious. I'm yeah. like, that actually excites me that I don't know which how it can possibly resolve itself in a way. And mm. maybe it will completely catastrophically fail. But I, I'm excited to see how it fails, if that's true, because like it is yeah. an interesting piece of TV so far. And, you know, I don't want to sound like I think this is kind of, I don't know, the most incredibly perceptive program that's been on TV in years, because it is still at times risible and ridiculous and sensational and kind of like it's kind of like really, really glossy soap opera and melodrama. It's just like got a kind of like prestige finish on it, which is great. I I heard someone describe it, I think, when the first series came out as a cross between Skins and Gossip Girl. Yeah. And I do think there is sometimes something of that. But it has it. got a better, like, it feels quite expensive for a BBC Three programme. It looks yeah, really good. I think so. The dialogue I quite like. The characters are kind of, like, unlikable and moody and difficult to grapple with. And so, yeah, I think, although it's not necessarily, like super prestige television i actually really like it and i'm even as i kind of disagree with it i'm like where are you gonna go next oh this is unpredictable and i like it (laughs) so we'll see yeah one to watch definitely So last week I recommended to Anna that she give the NBC slash Netflix comedy Great News a go, which is written by Tracy Wigfield and executive produced by Tina Fey and Robert Carlock, who you'll know their work from 30 Rock and The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and lots of other stuff like that. So Anna, how did you get on with this? I really liked this. There was a <laughs> oh, I thought you might. I thought you there might. was a moment I like wasn't a hundred percent on board or not on board. Though it was making it was like getting little laughs out of me. And then there was one line where I was like, "Oh fuck, I like this show a lot." Where the mother character says to the daughter character, "Let's bunk off work for the day. Oh, let's go see that Nancy Myers movie where Chris Hemsworth builds a gazebo, then marries a hundred-year-old woman." <laughs> <laughs> And I That's was really like, funny, right? I love that joke. That is such a such an up my street joke. Um, and I like rewound it. I got my boyfriend in the room and who loves Nancy Myers, huge Nancy Myers <laughs> fan, rewound it and like played the joke for him. And he was like, Yeah, it's a good joke. We should say what this is actually about yes, just briefly. Sorry. So um <laughs> it's set in a fictional TV newsroom of a show called The Breakdown. The main character is Katie, who is a producer on said show, and At the beginning of the first series, she's kind of struggling at work a bit. She's been there for years, but she doesn't feel like she's getting the recognition from her male bosses. She's not being like given the opportunity she thinks she should get. And she seems to have a very, she has a very close relationship with her mum who, you know, she's on the phone to her all the time and she tells her everything about work. And then one day her mum just turns up at work and is like, surprise, I've just decided to go back to college to get a degree in TV journalism and I'm here to do an internship that will be part of my course so I work here now. Much like the premise of the Nancy Myers movie The Intern. <laughs> which we also kind of liked. <laughs> we <right>? loved. Uh, <laughs> which saw Robert De Niro become an older intern in a young workplace mm-hmm. so the mother character becomes an older intern in this quite young 
workplace and it's also about mother-daughter negotiating kind of work personal life boundaries and figuring out how to work together at work and like the plots are kind of ridiculous right there's lots of like silly like plots that involve um katie going off to report on a bear that might maul her to death (laughs) and her mother it's it's a really stupid tv show we should mention it's not like for people who like me despite its problematic content still like the aaron sorkin show the newsroom in that show they are at least pretending to make like a serious news Mm -hmm. program whereas this the breakdown seems to be almost exclusively made up of stuff that on other shows would be the like and finally a hilarious animal like serial killers and dogs doing tricks it's like one or the other Um, yeah so it is really silly but I yeah I really like it and it's one of those shows where I do think the the best jokes are not in the kind of like plot and the and the story it's like Mm. these little asides that are like you know just really funny commentary um and obviously there is a lot of kind of like media commentary as in like 30 rock and stuff um because of the central premise of it being in a kind of broadcast news um office so yeah, I really, I really liked it. I, it's definitely, as you say, it was like a twenty-minute lunch watch or something. I think you described it as. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. what it is. It's for for me, it absolutely fills the gap in my life where Thirty Rock was, where I used to watch Thirty Rock for like doing cleaning and that kind of stuff, and yet still occasionally Thirty Rock would come out with a line or a joke that like I'm still thinking about yeah. today, and I feel like. Great news has the same potential for that. Like, for instance, uh, is it is it even in the very first episode of Thirty Rock where the Jack Donaghy Alec Baldwin character is like wearing a tux in his office and it's still light outside, and Tina Fey's character comes in and says like, "Why are you wearing a tux?" and he just looks at her and goes, "It's after six. What am I, a farmer?" <laughs> and for some reason, that line just deeply <laughs> resonates with me. And every time like an entitled posh person says something to me that's a bit like that, that's just what plays in my yeah, head. That is um, great that's what I feel great news has it's like it's a good relaxing watch it doesn't take up too much time but every so often it will just like suddenly pierce you with a really great moment of humor. yeah it's definitely for fans of 30 rock the good place uh crazy ex-girlfriend basically stuff I like if you like stuff I like you will like yeah, this definitely <laughs> yeah I really liked it I definitely it's definitely something that I would watch with like an enormous bowl of pasta when I'm having a break from work mm-hmm. that's where I would put it in my life so this is the part where we would normally say what we're going to recommend each other or you <laughs> for next week's episode. Except we're not going to do that because there isn't another proper normal format episode of Seriously. And now I feel confused about how we end this podcast. I'm I like, just can't believe that there won't now? be any more recommends in my life, but you'll just have to WhatsApp me them instead. <laughs> yes, No, exactly. I don't do anything when I'm uh, not on a deadline. So <laughs> will I just I know, never that's watch my TV concern again? about this. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna I, one of the really great things about seriously has been you know in the spring when all of the like Oscar bait movies come out I actually go and see them all because we're going to talk about them on seriously and I want to engage with what's happening in like film Twitter for two months I'm just not gonna do that now that I don't have a podcast to bed it's literally reruns of Gilmore Girls for me from here on out <laughs> yeah that's it i'm just gonna be watching 30 rock on a loop my final recommend Um, to all seriously listeners is to watch last week tights this week fights or maybe last week fights this week tights (laughs) i can't remember which way around it is um which is my favorite one of my favorite gilmore girls episodes or teach me tonight which is also one of my favorite gilmore girls episodes or the bracebridge dinner which is also one of my favorite (laughs) gilmore girls episodes Uh, i can't find anna's off switch how do we turn her off (laughs) just in tribute to seriously 
if you could go away and watch an old festive Gilmore Girls episode, um, mm-hmm. that would bring that would bring me a lot of joy. And then just email us explaining or yeah email us and say what you think is the best ever episode of Gilmore Girls I would like that but don't say they shoot Gilmore's don't they because that's banned as an answer because it's too it's too everyone always says that and it's actually not that good everyone always says that no ban on that but otherwise yeah I would like you to email him your favorite Gilmore Girls episodes with an with an elaborate description of why the plot and structure makes it so good and Caroline (laughs) what do you want some old lady detective story recommendations yeah I want people who have read the Dorothy L. Sayers stories that are not about Peter Whimsey, that are about her secondary detective, Montague Egg. I want to talk to those people because there aren't very many of those people in the world and I need to find them somehow. <laughs> maybe you'll have, maybe you'll create more just by saying that. They'll just like go away and read it and spring into being. Yeah, well, you know how, you know, Agatha Christie had like Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple and Parker Pine and like a few different detective characters. Because she's really famous, all of her ones are still mostly quite read today. Whereas for almost all other authors, they had like one detective who became Mm. the one that everybody read about. And then almost nobody reads their stuff about their like other random detective they invented. And I really like Montague Egg. I think he's really good. (laughs) Montague Egg. He's a... I know he's called Montague Egg and he's a traveling salesman in the 1920s. He goes door to door selling like wine, fine wines and spirits to people. And he solves all crimes through maxims. He's learned from something called the Salesman's Handbook, which rhymes. Everything is in rhyming couplets. That is incredible. Um, is it Montague Egg? And I think they're amazing. Or Montague hyphen Egg? No, Montague Egg. <laughs> I know. <laughs> His surname is Egg. <laughs> And no one ever comments on this. Like all of the police inspectors he works with and stuff are very seriously like, thank you for your assistance, Mr. Egg. And I just find this really funny and would like to meet other people who also think oh, this. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> I can't believe we have to end this podcast now because it's it's been really not long. <laughs> but uh, I know. Yeah, it's it's goodbye from me. It's, good it's goodbye, goodbye from, me, from Morris we'll Tub. I'm doing a little university yep, challenge style is way. asleep. <laughs> And we have got one more episode coming. We will speak to you next week about Christmassy things. Whoop, whoop. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.